You're listening to The Spiritual Awakening Show. This is part 29 of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. I'm your host, Brent Spirit, and my guest today is Lila Sterling. Lila has over a decade of experience with Kundalini process. Her journey has brought her into deep and intimate relationships with Jesus, Kali, Ganesha, Saraswati, and of course, Kundalini Shakti. As a homeschooling mother of eight children, Lila is a shining example of someone embodying their spirituality in the world as a householder with an open heart. Now, she's begun to blossom into a spiritual midwife, supporting others through their rebirth process. Together, we explore themes of devotion, trust, relationship, new Advaita, Rumi, Christianity, Hinduism, midwifery, and more. Be sure to check out the other parts of this series for some useful principles to help you get through your process safely and smoothly. You can find it in video form, audio form, and written form at brentspirit.com. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Lila Sterling. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Are you excited for our conversation? I am, Brent. Thank you for inviting me. I'm a little nervous, but yeah, you're comforting. So that that's good. Oh, well, no worries. No worries. I'm a little nervous too. Uh, I'll be honest, but what I found is once the words start flowing, it gets really exciting and I have a great time. So I'm sure it'll go that way as well. So I'll give you a little bit of an introduction for our audience here. Lila, comes from Bearville, Virginia. She's been working with Kundalini for over a decade that she's consciously been aware of, though uh, in our conversation earlier, Lila was mentioning that maybe there was a little bit of Kundalini process happening behind the scenes uh, for much longer, perhaps even uh, since before childhood even. Is that true? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, for me as well, for many of us that... Uh, I come across, it seems like if we dig deep, we find Kundalini has been going on for a long, long time. Uh, the clues and the signs are always there. And so Lila is a homeschool mom of eight children. She is what I would like to call a householder. And Lila, the reason that I've invited you on the show, there's a few reasons, but one of them is that uh, I really want to speak with people that are living in the world with this kundalini process showing us how we can function as human beings contributing to the world to society to our families uh, handling our responsibilities and being a householder and not only just a householder but a homeschool mom of eight kids i'm sure you've got so much wisdom to share about relationships about uh life transitions about the different different challenges that come across uh, as we go through this process, you know, we get triggered by different people. Maybe there's issues with, you know, how do we fit in in a world with many different people who aren't necessarily spiritual? How do we fit in? And I'm sure you've explored all of these themes and, and we'll, we'll unpack as we go. As well, Lila has a background in Christianity, as well as some exploration in Hinduism. 
And I can say the same for myself. So I'm pretty excited to see how we can compare notes. And I'm sure many people out there as well have uh, similar backgrounds, especially from Christianity, which doesn't openly speak about Kundalini. But, you know, on this journey, get a little desperate and we start to figure out how does Kundalini fit in within all these religions, especially Christianity. And it's definitely there. There's definitely some, some very interesting ways in which it is very relevant that we can look at this spiritual transformation process through a Christian lens, through a lens of the story of Jesus and, and uh, that sort of uh, religion from the, from the West. But then of course we can explore the East, which is, uh, it's pretty clear and obvious at times when we talk about Kundalini. So today we're going to get Lila to share her story with us, share some of the challenges, some of the themes to do with devotion, to do with surrender, to do with her cultivation of faith and trust. And like I was saying, there's many reasons that I've uh, you know wanted to have you have you come on the show, Lila. And one of them is that when we first met, it was uh, during a When Lightning Strikes community circle. And a few of the members uh, in the meeting there were sharing about some of the challenges that they were faced with on the journey. And you had chimed in. And when you began to speak, I could just sense, here's a person who gets it. Here's a person who has real faith and trust in this process, who doesn't feel like they're a victim. Somebody who's gone through the ringer and come out to realize, you know, God's on our side. And this was the advice and the counsel that you were sharing with some from your own experience, of course, and uh, we could, I could really tell it was rooted in, in you know, you know, your own direct experience that you had been initiated to this point where you're at, where you can speak with confidence and faith and trust and reassure those that are going through hard times, and that's why I really wanted you to have uh, uh, share your story here today to further validate those that are going through difficult times, further validate those who are in families struggling, where does Kundalini fit in? Where do I fit in? I'm sure you'll have some wisdom to share with us today. And in that Zoom meeting, you shared a really beautiful poem by Rumi that really captured this essence of faith and trust in God, trust in the process, trust in not my will, but God's will, right? Whatever God wants, let that be. And it's even, you know, something really, really difficult. Let that let that be what it is because you know we trust that God is not out to hurt us or harm us. God is helping us in often ways that we don't understand. But that poem you shared really captured that. It brought a tear to my eye. Um, you know, Rumi, beloved poem, a beloved poet from, uh, you know, all around the world, people really love Rumi. And sometimes for his poems are shared um, almost, dare I say, carelessly. But if you really sit and, and contemplate what Rumi's saying, you see that there's a mystic there, somebody who's been through some really difficult things, who's come out on the other side with that faith and confidence. And that's what speaks through those poems. And that's what I saw in you that day, Lila. And so I'm very, very excited to have you on with us. And now I'm going to give you the floor and end my rambling intro there and give you a chance to to share that poem with us and then take us away on a journey letting us know about your story and how this all began for you so please the floor is yours lila beautiful intro thank you so much oh, you're so um, welcome i 
uh, I'll read this poem, but first I wanted to say that um, I'd, I'd read a, a few other lines of, of Rumi um, a couple of nights ago. Warning, <laughs> don't read Rumi and try to go to sleep. You know, it's just not, it's not good for sleep inducement. Um, Cause I always just get just so ecstatic. I mean, just one line from Rumi and it just like, I'm a, I'm a dervish, yeah, internal dervish wherever I am when that happens. But this is what I, I felt with you when I um, met you on When Lightning Strike Circle, what, a couple of months ago. And I'm like, he knows, like, I could tell that you saw me, that you saw that part of me. And, and I mean, and in that recognition, you know, of course, there's just expansion. It's just, it's so beautiful to be recognized in a way that doesn't involve the five senses or the body or the face and all that's beautiful and it's important, but to be seen at the, that level and to just be sitting in that recognition with another is like the most incredible thing to experience. And this reminds me of that. Rumi said, the lamp of lovers connect, not at their bases, but in lightedness. Beautiful. Yes, the yes, lamp, I feel that. Yes, exactly right. The 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 human base that we can connect there, but the deeper connection is in our lightedness, and that Amen. just so expressed exactly what it, what I felt. And and of course, you know, there's just a lot of incredible nuances around that kind of seeing and, and connecting as well. Right, so, right. Yeah, I I I love that you put words to the experience that I had as well. There's some incredible people within the Wind Lightning Strikes community. Uh, many who have incredible, incredible wisdom who have gone through very, very difficult transformations. And there are some who are experiencing great difficulty and challenge and uh, quite frankly, suffering. And so they're looking for support. And so just being in the presence of somebody like you, who's who's got uh, the ability to ground and to radiate and to support so, so meaningful. And so I hope that those out there may be listening and they may be able to recognize uh, the lightness of your lamp. And we can see that uh, Lila is a mirror, right? And so if you recognize something great about Lila, it's also something great about yourself as well. I just wanna put that out there for our audience to just to know that we are not two people here up on the mountaintop having a conversation and others are looking, you know, from below, you know, we're all meeting together in that same place. I think Rumi's got a, a famous poem about that too, but. Yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. And, and to add to that, before I read this poem, um, just out of my, my own experience of, um, you know, being in groups or, you know, satsangs or meetings or whatever, and having, some no doubt well-intentioned teacher sharing, but not in a way that integrates the humanity. Like I'm, I'm really like my 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 boots are in the mud. You know, my hands at the plow. My entry to the divine has been through my humanity. So I'm I'm coming in the back door, mm -hmm. and I you know I mean that that definitely makes one devotional. And so I wanted to share that because um, I don't always feel like I have a bright burning light. Sometimes I feel that it gets eclipsed still. 
and and I'm and I'm lost and I can't find my way and I still feel like God abandons me from time to time and I don't want to present myself in any way that would make anyone feel like they are not measuring up right where they are because I still fall on my face and I still forget and I don't know much. I've just been through some shit. <laughs> and and I, I just want to share from that perspective. I'm just a human being sitting here just sharing my experience. And I am very much still in process. And I don't even know what that means. I don't I don't know what's next. Um, so I'll be as surprised as anyone else. Right on. Yeah, I can say the same for myself. I maybe have not fallen on my face today but at some point in the future i will i will feel that you know abandonment from god i will go through those dark nights of the soul uh what i can say about myself at least and of course i say this from a place of stability and peace in this moment is that i've learned how to go through those nights i've learned and have that faith sort of integrated that it's going to be okay at some point it works out in its own way and that's god's god's grace and I feel the the poem that uh, you shared, Rumi's poem, sort of captures that, captures that for us. Yeah. Okay. So I'll read it. Great. Um, and I, I discovered last night that it's actually a segment of a really long poem, but this is the segment that I read. God fixes a passionate desire in you and then disappoints you. God does that a hundred times. God breaks the wings of one intention and then gives you another, cuts the rope of contriving so you'll remember your dependence. But sometimes your plans work out. You feel fulfilled and in control. That's because if you are always failing, you might give up. But remember, it is by failures that lovers stay aware of how they are loved. Failure is the key to the kingdom within. Your prayer should be, Break the legs of what I want to happen. Humiliate my desire. Eat me like candy. It's spring. And finally, I have no will. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. I really love that line. Eat me like candy. Yeah. And God's favorite candy must be fireballs <laughs> i mean because wow right <laughs> and i i think i think in the in the christian scriptures it says your god is a consuming fire mm -hmm. yeah yeah this journey is uh is the kundalini the flame of kundalini is an all-consuming fire yes. yes indeed no joke <laughs> It is no joke. So take us back to how this all began for you. You can take us back as early as you'd like, and we'll sort of unpack things as we go. Share your story with us. Okay. Um, and at, at the time, of course, I wasn't thinking this. This is looking back retroactively um, and, and realizing that you know, Kundalini doesn't always have to be, you know, like fire and brim, brimstone. 
Um, it, it is for, you know, a, a quite a few people that I know, but it, I, I guess it's not always that way. And so when I opened up to, wow, you know, this was like just so intense. And then how I first felt that eruption in my body with it not coming from the root chakra, but already being in the spine itself, which was how I originally felt it. And just really just jerking my whole form off of the bed. Um, so it was in retrospect that I, I was able to look back and and realize that when I was a teenager, 19, 20, 21, I had been invited to a church service. It was a non-denominational church. And I felt this really profound love for Jesus. I mean, it really is the first time in my life I thought there really might be something called love. Because I didn't grow up in a, in a family where that I had the privilege of feeling like I was loved and wanted. And I'll get into that in, in a little bit. Um, so, you know, getting involved in this church and, you know, it was like, feels really great. And then I start to have these almost nightly dreams with this, you know, lean, dark haired Mediterranean looking guy, you know, and we would just walk through these hills and valleys and lush green places. And that was all beautiful too. But the, the beautiful part is when he would speak, like I, un, I would understand everything he said. And this just exchange just back and forth. And this went on for like two years, off and on, but almost to some degree, at least three or four times a week. And I would wake up in the middle of the night after a dream was over and it would be like the sun was sitting in my chest. And then later on, I, I came across this story in the, in the Bible where the disciples said, did our hearts not burn within us when he walked with us along the way? And I'm like, yes, just that, that heart burning. Um, and so I get involved in the church and, you know, there's this saying, I think it's from the Bible as well, that the spirit gives life, but the like knowledge dries up. So this like conceptual knowledge, you know, you began to, I mean, my heart's like wide open. And I don't, I didn't at the time have these kinds of Kundalini symptoms that I even have in my body right now, but my, my heart chakra, I didn't know it was a heart chakra at the time, but was just really a flame. And I was in love. I was so incredibly in love. If I heard somebody just mention the name of Jesus, my body would just melt and tears would flow out of my eyes. I would say, I looking back, bhakti just so bhakti, just full of love and devotion. And then, you know, I started, you know, reading the Bible and I probably read it 25 times from cover to cover. I mean, I was, I was an avid student of, of the word, you know, looking up and buying books. And I've been, I've been studying and, and diving in my whole life. Um, sometimes I get a, a little annoyed because I'm thinking, am I going to be able to do anything different, but that's just kind of funny, <laughs> you know? Um, and I would read, I would read the gospels and I would literally just sit and just like 
bend over in agony because there was something there that I could feel, but I didn't have the mechanisms developed in my body mind to be able to lay hold of it in a, in a, in a deep understanding and a somatic way. And this is actually really good sharing this because I've never thought about this before. So this is like just really bringing kind of the whole thing to life. Like I don't have this in all my notes, you know. Um, and so it was just, it was just agonizing. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what Rumi meant when he said that longing is the mystery. Longing itself is the cure. Because it was an agonizing longing that nothing, you know, even at, even then I knew that nothing I could do in this world, no relationship, no materialism, nothing could ease that longing. And that's what never went away. You know, even, you know, when the, you know, the real ooey gooey, oh my God, I'm so in love, you know, everything's Jesus, 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 and you want everybody to meet your new boyfriend. And, you know, you're just talking about Jesus all the time because I figured everybody else loved them the way that I did. And it was a rude awakening when I realized that they didn't. And I felt kind of, you know, like some love struck teenager a lot of the time. So, you know, then you learn to reel your stuff in, you know, cause you don't want to be labeled a fanatic or anything, but I, I really was, I just learned how to keep it to myself. Um, but it was this agony that just settled in me. And I found myself just going through my life. Every stranger I would pass, I'm wondering, is it in your eyes? Is it in your eyes? Is it in your eyes? And I'm always looking for it and I can't find it anywhere in anything and it's painful it's a really really painful thing to love like that to, to be opened that way and then and then to not like I said have the system that I needed to to be able to embody it I, I couldn't embody it that's you know Thank God for Kundalini, that's what she does. You know, she gives us a temple worthy of love's dwelling. Um, but up and up until then, it's just an incredible longing and having, you know, all night prayer vigils and pouring over Rumi's poems and and Jesus's words and sometimes just the agony would turn into anger and frustration because I remembered so many times I would say I just to Jesus I just want to know by what power do you write by what power do you say these things that's all I wanted to know um and that's been the quest of my entire life really I don't know that it will ever end as long as I'm in this body I hope not. I I love I love um I love there's this sense of otherness. I love the love that's in, in in play in the sense of otherness, especially the more the 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 reflection, you know, begins to mirror the two the two faces, the face of the world, the face of God. It's, it's just an incredible love affair.
Mm-hmm. And um, and I know for a lot for myself and for a lot of us, you know, maybe a listener might hear somebody talk about love to that extent, and they might think, "Oh, I want to feel love like that." It's not easy to feel. And that's a really shocking thing um, because this is an all-consuming kind of love. And it's really difficult to feel in the body, um, it, it, especially, you know, it, it initially, you know, we, we come into this, um, this, this vibration or it comes into us. I, th- I think it's one in the same. Um, and we realize we are incredibly insufficient we're like a 20 watt bulb and there is a thousand watts of life current trying to make its way through us so it can live through us and us as us and that's a very very um, painful thing to go through um and and one one begins to realize how much you have romanticized the whole idea of um what spirituality is. And I don't really know much about enlightenment and awakening and all that kind of stuff. I, I, you know, I don't want to get into those terms. There are people way better skilled than I am. I, you know, just want to talk about, I want to talk about love. And you know, it's super sweet print right before mm-hmm. when you were doing the intro, I had looked, I looked down, you know, these things usually so stupid. You're like, man, who wrote that one? But I happened to look at this one and when we were doing our short little meditation and I was calling on Sarah Swarty. She's she's one of my um, um, she's one of my devotees. And I will explain what I mean by her being one of my devotees, because that might shock some people um, for me to say it that way. But I don't really care. You know, Um, so I was asking for her support and I looked down at this and it said, your greatest strength is love. Mm. beautiful wonderful <laughs> yeah Thanks. for those listening on the podcast or the audio version uh lila's talking about the the note on her tea bag the greatest oh. strength is love greatest strength. yeah I, I can relate with with what you're sharing there about this love being difficult to experience actually because this of the limitations of our body the limitations of this system I, I felt the same. I can only describe it as being sad that I couldn't make a home for God in my heart. I wanted God to be there, but the home in my heart almost was like insufficient or something like that. And it was this great, great, it was heartbreaking almost, this this longing that I have had for God. I still have it. But very early on in my process, I began to feel it. what you're describing. Uh, maybe not to such a high degree, but there was this incredible sadness. Um, I was sadly in love with God. My bhakti had a tint of sadness as well. So I can understand what you're saying. And you shared earlier about your dreams with Jesus. Sounds like a very personal relationship. Yeah, I... Earlier on, I, I made Jesus a little bit of uh, an enemy, I would say, because I, I moved away from organized religion. I moved away from the church and Jesus became this like, uh, almost like I said, like an enemy, like a symbol of everything that I was uh, opposed to. 
I wanted to get away from from the church, religion, the dogma, the you know the 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 fanaticism and that sort of thing. And so whenever I saw Jesus, it was like ah, I was just an old old guy, probably didn't even exist. Blah blah blah. But uh, as I explored the East, Hinduism, Buddhism, my own process began to become more personal in the way that you were describing. I had one, just one dream with Jesus and uh, very, very palpable, loving energy. And I understood that even though I had made this guy my enemy, it's true. You know, he's very forgiving. And even then he still um, came to my aid and offered some great wisdom that I still to this day uh, contemplate. He just said a few words to me and I still contemplate them. Yeah. It wouldn't you say that what you made the enemy is more of the icon that, you know, this ideology that the church has built around Jesus. I mean, to me that Jesus doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, because I went through something similar and, and I, I think it's only natural when we've been tethered so tightly to something and then we get cut loose from it um, because part of part of my journey, um, you know, sharing with you, um, you know, the, the devotion, the visitations with Jesus, the Bible study, all of that kind of stuff, all the years in the church. Um, and that thing happened where my mind just goes um oh i see i I'm, I'm coming back to it um and i went through this period of about two years where um this is why i know kundalini was active before i felt her fiery presence um I get to this point in my Christian faith and it, it wasn't particularly liberal. It was a very conservative Christian faith. Um, you know, I believed in the rewarding and punishing God that there was a, a place called heaven and hell. And, you know, anybody that didn't believe the way I believed was headed there. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. If it's human, it's what I was going through, you know? And something began to happen, which didn't make me happy initially. Um, I don't think real waking up makes anyone happy, by the way. Not, not initially. That, that's just kind of way down the road unless you came here, you know, kind of kind of well cooked. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Not well cooked. Heart full of love, but full of shit. You know, not well cooked at all. Um, and something started to happen. I, I started to have these dreams and I know it's Jesus. He's not visible in these, but I know he's up to something because I had made an enemy of all of that. I mean, I had to, I'm an extreme person. The pendulum just swung way over here. I get into Hinduism and, um, you know, quite a, quite a few other things. Um, Advaita Vedanta, um all that all that kind of stuff and it and it's still I'm kind of a mutt right now because I'm kind of like a mix of, of both of them um but I would I started having dreams and in my dreams my belief system was being deconstructed 
my Christian belief system was being deconstructed. And it was only later that I realized that belief system had nothing at all to do with Jesus. This is what the structure I had built on that presence of Jesus, which is kind of what begins to make you feel not alive anymore. You know, so it kind of, you know, moved from the heart up to the, you know, head and became a, like a conceptual understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really dug. It was really dug in the beingness, very, very, very deep. Because when I do something, I do it with all my being. So if, you know, if it's great, it's super great. If it's bad, it's super bad. And I just didn't, don't typically have much middle way when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, so it was really, really hard. And I, you know, would go to read the scriptures and the old meaning wasn't there anymore. It was terrifying. And, you know, when people, I hear a lot of people say, oh, that's just a belief. They don't really understand themselves really well if they say that's just a belief because beliefs get embedded in our psyches. They get embedded in our nervous system and they actually become energetic structures that feel supporting to us. And so that energetic structure just started to become shattered. Huge pieces of it started to go missing. And then I felt like there was no ground underneath my feet. And so I had a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of terror, which is kind of exactly what I was experiencing with with Kundalini when the new Hindu structure that I had built, which helped with understanding, but that was a new structure I had built. So even the spiritual structures that we build, those also get dismantled and destroyed. So I know it's way more than a, than a, than a belief. There's no such thing as just a belief. I, I get over it. It's just a belief. That's an insult to say that to someone. Right. Or to blame anybody for being trapped in their beliefs. That's an insult. This is really, really sticky stuff. And we all should be really, really compassionate <laughs> to each other because it's super hard. Um, so little by little, this, this destruction happens and I, come across some gentleman by the name of Joel Goldsmith. And I don't know if you're familiar with who Robert Adams is. Robert Adams, yes. Yes. So um, I'm not quite sure how I stumbled into, you know, first it was Joel Goldsmith. And he wrote this thin little book called A Spiritual Interpretation of Scripture. And this is, you know, kind of, you know, months after, you know, just I'm, I'm just my belief structures absolutely being destroyed. And I feel like I'm like free falling. You know, of course, you know, what your mind wants to do is one is, you know, something falls down. You got to build it back up. <laughs> something falls down and build it back up. Um, but he was he played a huge role in. Because I don't necessarily think. um we go through destruction in phases. If we went through total destruction just like this, that would be the same as somebody saying, God, I want all of you right now. And him answering your prayer, it would kill you. And I think it is 
by the grace of the one that longs for itself, because that's all that's ever going on. By the grace of the one that longs for itself, we go through these layers of, of deconstruction. It, it's, it's just so sweet that it happens. And, and, and though it can feel horrible, it might feel sometimes like, you know, God's just a bully. You know, I felt that before. He's just some mean bully, you know, like who would, who would worship you anyway? You know, like mm -hmm. seriously. Um, and so little by little by little, you know, just those layers get peeled away. They just get peeled and peeled and peeled away. And it was when it reached a certain point of, of getting peeled away that this um, fiery love starts to return again. When it returned again, it returned in the full blown light work, lightning strikes dynamic of, of Kundalini. Um, because up to that point, I had spent a good deal of time with um, the Sargadatta Maharaj Robert Adams, Ramana, Ramana Maharshi, a little bit of time in Course in Miracles, but I had some big red flags with that like pretty early on. And the worst part, one of the really, really down periods of my journey um, was getting involved in Neo Advaita. Mm. It was very, very damaging. It was very, very detrimental. Um, and my my mind just the way the way my mind in, in, interpreted those teachings it really it really did a number on me um and and left me with some loops that would play in my mind that i have only in the last 6 months really started to see through because i had a belief um and here's the belief. If I was awakened, my life wouldn't look like this. So you can imagine how painful, how much suffering was wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. Because according to the Neo-Advaitas, you know, nothing's real. The world isn't real. Your body isn't real. Your thoughts aren't real. Your emotions aren't real. Um, I became actually a little suicidal in that. And would, would go through periods of um, suicidal ideation because I was so completely removed from life. Um, and, you know, I had some, you know, some, some profound understandings and, and openings happening, but it was more of um, like that kind of um, a disassociation from life. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of children at the time. And, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but I was just almost checked out um, for um, about a year and a half, a couple of years. I was doing a lot of chanting, a lot of... Um, I've never done any meditation. I've never done any formal sit down, close your eyes, um, more the masculine transcendental meditation kind of stuff. I, I've never done any of that. Um, but I was spending a lot of time chanting, a lot of time um, reciting the names of God. Um, and it, 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 and I, and I got in, involved with a, you know, a, a particular 
sangha that wasn't helping any of that at all. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn in this process, not just about our divine nature, but our human nature as well. Mm, and I know well not a lot of not a lot of that gets talked about in a lot of spiritual circles, but I I think um, and humanifying the divine is super important and and divinizing humanity is super important it's 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 a you know it's a revolving door um Mm -hmm. so those are you know those are some really 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 difficult times and um something happened in my mind with um um, most specifically, you know, you know, Robert Adams, and I understand him differently today, but I would never go near those teachings again, because I don't feel like for the most part, they're very life honoring. And I'm a householder. I'm a mom of eight. I love relationships. I love people. You know, um, I don't I don't want to be removed from my life, even if it's shitty, even if mm. it sucks. You know, I right. have found my greatest, my, 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 my greatest revelations, like just right smack dab in the middle of it. And that's been really, really hard to get to, um, to the place where because of what got really embedded in my, my psyche and my nervous system with specifically with Neo Advaita, there was, um, it created a, a, a lot of distance between me and life. I had a lot of buffer. Kundalini comes on the scene and she is no friend of separation at all. <laughs> you know, she's pretty feisty that way, actually. And, um, and I, you know, I, I mean, you kind of can't help it. You know, you start talking about um, Kundalini because um, most of us have a really rough ride with her and I've had a really 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 rough ride and I I don't want to scare anybody but I also think it's important to just kind of understand it um so one of the beliefs that I had was um if as long as I was having thoughts I was not making any progress Hmm. that is difficult difficult belief to live with as a human being it's a very, very difficult belief to, to live with. And not only was it a belief, I was at the point where I was actually feeling the bite of it in my nervous system at the time. That's how I know Kundalini was, all of this is going on. And so I always, the, the incredible anxiety and fear that was always in my body, because I felt like a piece of red meat in an ocean waiting for the next shark to bite me. And, you know, thoughts come and go. I mean, I don't know that anybody's ever thoughtless. I mean, I think it's just the nature of thoughts. They just come through so we can, you know, talk of, you know, there's the thinking mind and the working mind. But with the thinking mind, you know, just random thoughts float through. Yeah. And so imagine if you had the belief embedded in your system. So it was really a part of the psyche had created. There was a massive split in the psyche. And one part of it said, no, as long as there's any thoughts here, there's no progress. Like the mind wouldn't know anything about the progress in consciousness to begin with. You know, I mean, I know that now as 
it was a lot of lot of painful um, beliefs that you know needed thorns to re to remove them from me, and and that's continual as well. Um, so, so I had that same um, belief for a period of time. I'm curious how you overcame it. I can share a little bit about how how I sort of overcame it. Um, but how did you sort of, you mentioned like, a you know, using a thorn to kind of remove those, those police, how did that go about for you? Well, I, I would say that my greatest ally in overcoming that has been the Kundalini itself, just clearing out, um, the, the constant, um, roaring fire in my brain. And, you know, the crackling, the opening up of the neural pathways. I mean, you can feel it all, all happening. And not only, not only do I have just a Kundalini process going on, but I also have a, a spiritual awakening process going on, you know, with the upper chakras. Um, so just having way more, um, you know, unbounded a, a awareness, you know, to, to be able to shine the light. You, you have a contrast, you have this ever expanding um, uh, awareness and, and you have, oh, this belief, but the belief is still embedded in the body. So you can't just transcend it. Mm -hmm. It's going to mess up your life expression as, as long as you live, it's going, it's going to taint it and mar it. Um, so that's the work of the Kundalini in the body, which is where trust and devotion come into play. How did right. you overcome it? I'm really curious. So I had the same sort of idea. I mean, we see it within spirituality, general ideas of meditation and mindfulness, you know, stop thinking, no thoughts, no thoughts, no suffering, no self, no thoughts, no ego, no <laughs> suffering. Enlightenment is when there are no thoughts. Um, within a, Even Advaita Vedanta, Neo-Advaita, they talk about, you know, the destruction of the mind. Even Ramana Maharshi talks about the the destruction of the mind, the destruction of of this sense of identity. Well, it was through actually doing some digging, some investigation uh, with Ramana Maharshi, for example, who I have, you know, cannot say enough about my my devotion and reverence to to Ramana. But uh, there was some sort of Q and A with Ramana, and I found somebody said, you know. Uh, Bhagwan, do you have thoughts? And he said, usually no, but sometimes I, I can find the quote. The quote is online somewhere, but he says, you know, usually no, but if I'm reading something, I'll, I might have thoughts. If I'm reading the newspaper or if I'm discussing something, I may have thoughts, but usually no. I thought, okay, so this guy's not always completely without any thoughts. So I can also have thoughts at times and that's okay. If Ramana can have thoughts, so can I. Sure. Um, and then like I started doing investigation, you know, I, I started to really, I, I did this for, for all of these sorts of teachers. And I was like, I want to find out, are these people really human beings or are they living in this like superhuman state? And I started to find, you know, there's human beings. I started to do some investigation that they're all human beings. And that's gave myself permission to be a human being as well. There's another uh, really interesting guy, uh, Gary Weber, Gary Weber. Um, and he writes about, he speaks uh, about, um, with his process, the self-referential thinking, self-referential thoughts ceased. So there's periods of uh, where he doesn't have any thoughts. Right. And 
he said that when he spoke to, I believe, uh, his Zen teachers who were Zen masters, he said, you know, I don't have any thoughts anymore. And they said, oh, that's interesting because not all Zen masters uh, experience that completely thoughtless state. And yet they're still deemed to be Zen masters. So they thought, oh, okay. Does it? So I'm like, okay, it doesn't happen to everybody. And then he said, look, I'm diabetic. And sometimes if my blood sugar gets out of whack, thoughts will start arising. And I thought, oh, okay. So even this guy, there's some situations in which the mind starts up again, just like Ramana, just like this guy, Gary Weber. And so I said, okay, Brent, you're allowed to have thoughts. Okay. <laughs> and I said, okay. Because there were periods where I would be thoughtless months at a time, like very, very few thoughts, very quiet. But then the mind would sometimes start up again mm -hmm. or I would find, oh, why the thoughts are back? Oh no, what's going on? It was like this horrifying thing. Oh no, it's, it's happening. Something bad is happening. The ego's you know, being resurrected or something, right? And then it was through those difficult experiences that I started to do that investigation, like I said. And so for people out there listening, you're allowed to have thoughts. It's okay. Um, you know, don't use that as a measure for your, uh, your, your, your spiritual high score. <laughs> yeah, if we could save you from torture, don't, don't use that to measure where you are spiritually. And, and then, you know, this, this other thing would like float around in my head. Well, you know, well, if I'm not my thoughts, why does it matter if I have them or not? That, that was the big question that would, you know, start to come up for me. And, and then I, you know, and the, and the other thing was, oh, gosh, I really want to be human, you know, like for the first time in my life. And, and this happened really just like about a couple of months ago, you know, and there was just so much avoidance around this for me, like just really showing up, you know, em embodied, open to my humanity internally and externally. And boy, that has that has been really, really eye opening. Um, because we don't, we don't normally hear, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in teachers who don't teach in an integrative way because like in my whole spiritual journey, all my questions have been about, I hear you, but what's that look like down here? I hear you, but what's that look like down here? And I've always needed somebody to bring it down here and few people are willing to do it, you know, because you can't be a teacher and a full-blown human being at the same time. And here's my challenge. Try it. Mm -hmm. And I promise you, you will be a much more effective teacher. The more human you allow yourself to be seen. Because we all want to be validated. None of us are going through something that everybody else doesn't go through at some point in their life, something that they think, something they struggle with. And if we can validate our humanity, then shame goes out the window, guilt goes out the window, being human is normalized. And when things get normalized, they start to settle down and they stop being like barking dogs wanting an attention. So the waves on the ocean start to settle down and then, then we start to sense, wow, wait, there's something else here. It wasn't about these waves at all, but as long as we can't attend to them, and I think that's the most profound thing about relationships in this journey is to, to have listening buddies, have, have spiritual buddies that you really can be yourself with. You can you, you can curse God to these people 
and they are okay. They just accept you. So we're basically being a, as much of a container of unconditional love for each other as we can so that we can start to normalize a lot of these shadows and all the stuff that's hidden and shamed by society and religion. That to me, that's the easiest way to settle it down and include it all at the same time rather than transcend it and have to come back down the mountain and do all of that work to open up to it. I mean, there's two ways, two ways to go at it. And I don't think there's any one right way. And who knows why, you know, some people are programmed one way versus another. But it was just easier for me to, oh, my God, I, I feel checkmated. All I have left is this. You know, I just I have this life, you know, and bills and shortages of money and um and great relationships and sunrises and flowers and pain in my body and you know this is it <laughs> and you and you show up for it and you start to feel i feel enlivened right right now thank you so much that's my intention with having guests on like yourself to show that this is a human thing. It's a human experience. Um, we see it throughout religion and spirituality in general, but particularly in the Neo-Advaita scene, there is like a a very much, not only do they dismiss humanity and, and the ego and, and, you know, the nitty gritty things of life, but then also those teachers uh, are further living a very exaggerated example of that in which they are, you know, sort of perpetuating this idea that even behind closed doors, they're walking around in this like perfect Zen-like no self state when really that's just not true. <laughs> not true at all. You know, we're all, they're all, they're, they've got their same human thing, same relationship issues and challenges and context for growth and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's important that we recognize there are, masks that people wear spiritual masks as teachers as guides as gurus but that's a mask it's it's not who they are at all times and um some people think that unless they become like those people they see on stage or wherever it is unless they you know like you were saying don't have thoughts anymore they're still a work in progress and Many people have made it to very, very advanced stages of the journey. And they don't even realize that because they're holding themselves to these un, unrealistic standards. And it's just, it's rather unfortunate. So thank you so much for, for bringing some, some relief to those who are out there with, you know, advanced stages of consciousness with open hearts who haven't yeah. yet taken a moment to realize how far they've come. Yeah, Hope there's absolutely. people out there. And you know, and and I want to say this to the to those people too. It's um or, or really to anybody listening, this might be um, pertinent for. You know, we we hear these statements, you know, all the time. You know, um, trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself. And you know what? I just want to say that that's not easy. It's not easy at all. Well, I'll speak for me. Um, having a a lot of early developmental trauma. I, my whole life, I have needed people to, um, and, and thankfully, I think it's the beauty of, of, of relationships. And I think we always need those until something else comes online and we are relating from a different kind of being 
then the quality of our relationships, you know, start to align with that as well. But as, you know, as, as babies, you know, our first glimpse of, of, of God would really be our parents. I mean, that is our safety. You know, a, a little child really, I mean, if you have, they have a good enough mom and dad. They, I mean, their mom and dad is the world. They know they're going to be taken care of. They're going to be fed. They know they're safe. They can be themselves. And a lot of us came in and we didn't even have that not even good enough. I, you know, everybody's got a story. Mine isn't any different than anybody else's. You know, it's mm -hmm. not special. It's just one of eight billion stories specific to this expression. Um, but there, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. There was extreme like third world poverty. Um, you know, I never, ever felt safe in my entire life. I have huge abandonment issues to this day. Um, the big change with it is I have greater capacity to hold it. And, and I, and I recognize it, you know, so it's still here. It just doesn't have so much governing power anymore, but it's still a part of me and it will always be a part of me. Where is it going to go? There's nowhere else for it to go and hide out, you know? Um, and because of that, it was really, I mean, I would, you know, I would hear people say, you know, just trust yourself. And I never had the guts to just say, hey, you know, I don't know what that means. Can you tell me? I th This day I would, I, I would ask anything. I mean, the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. Um, but at that time, you know, I was too, I was too ashamed, you know, I'm not going to sit in this group of, you know, spiritual people who everybody knows what the teacher's talking about, but me. And that, that would be my constant position. Everybody's doing better than me. Um, and, you know, and my friends would see things in me that I couldn't see. And I'm like, why do you say these things? I don't see them. You know, they're recognizing they're my light. They're recognizing my understanding. But in my own body mind, there's, there's a lot of cloud cover. Um, trauma. And so for people who, you know, are really struggling to trust yourself, it is a struggle. It, it, it's okay. And, and to, to even like come to this point and even feel like, oh my gosh, I, I feel like I trust myself for the first time ever. And then you get shocked that goes away. And then you come into a new level. There's all these liminal spaces, right? Because this isn't like a, a linear process, like it's like a spiral. Mm -hmm. And at any spiral, you know, there's a plateau and then from there, and then there's a circling back down and a circling back up. And it's the wisdom of life to function that way and to e evolve itself through these human forms and nervous systems. Um, so I can say that I trust myself more today than I ever have. And that it, took blood, sweat, and tears to get here. It was not easy for me. But I finally feel like um, that my mentors are my friends. In some areas, they know a lot more than me. In some areas, I know a lot more than them. Everybody's on the same playing field. Nobody here is above anybody else or below anybody else. And I really do feel what Ram Dass said, that we are just walking each other home. 
and then I don't know how how long this this thing is going to um supposed to go, but that could where where do you want to where do you want to go go next with that? Well, thanks so much for uh, for those validating supporting words. I, I really appreciate. It. I know that people out there do as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about your relationship with your family, motherhood, and a little bit about your relationship with Shakti, with the Divine Mother as well. How does that fit in for you on this spiritual process uh, as you go through this you know, transformation of bringing the divine into your house? How does that look for you? How has that looked over the years? Um, well, when my first three children, because I had three children, then didn't have any for seven years, and then I had five in six and a half years. Gray, <laughs> um, gray, right? Um, but... Um, Initially, when I had my first three, I was um, really steeped in Christianity. So Bible study, prayer, devotion, um, character formation, because it wasn't so much about like teaching morals, but I wanted more than anything for my children to be compassionate and to not judge and label people that were different from them. Like if, if that was the only accomplishment that I could have during motherhood, that their their reputation in the community would be, wow, your children are so kind and compassionate. So there was a lot of time and energy put into that. And you know, of course I homeschooled. Um, originally I started homeschooling for probably because of my, my Christian faith, but that didn't last long. Um, the more I got into it, the more I realized I really love these human beings. You know, they were just in, incredible and to be able to just spend time with them. I mean, it's a weighty responsibility that no, almost everything they learned, you know, academics reflecting back on me. You know, I mean, that's I, I could understand people not wanting to do that. It's quite a weight to bear. But I learned with them. I, I just became part of the classroom. And we enjoyed learning together. We enjoyed spending our days together. We enjoyed getting to know each other, not just from, you know, mom and child, but as human beings. And this is interesting because it was when my my eighth one, who's in his first year in college right now, um, I was having him write. So it was like 18 years ago, 19 years ago. I was having him write um he had, he was working on the double O's and what they sound like. So he was writing blood and flood. And there's a little picture up there of this mouse and he's just terrified. He's clinging to this log. And of course, you know, it was some diagram of Noah's flood. And so he asked me, he's like, mommy, why is that mouse looking like this? I mean, I could tell his little heart was like so tender. And so I started telling him about the story of God destroying the earth and every living thing on it, except for Noah and his family, how lucky they were. And my little kid, Ethan, looked up at me and he said, Mom, I could never worship a God that would do that. And I, I can still feel it. I can still feel it like right now. It shattered. It shattered through my being. 
And that was even before my whole Christian structure had started to crumble. It was so shattering. And I remembered this verse from the Bible that says, out of the mouth of babes, let everything be established. And here was this babe telling me he could never worship the God that I worship. It was life-changing. Mm -hmm. It was life-changing. Wow. So the, that's the that's interesting. I, I sometimes experience um, meeting with people that are feeling ungrounded and like how you described when you were dealing with Neo Advaita, feeling very checked out of the world relationships, but in particular, what really bothers people and they, they come to me and they say, I want to be there for my kids and I can't be, and I'm horrified. I'm just like, they're checked out. And um, I often, not always, depending on the situation, but I often tell them, look, <laughs> I understand why you've come to me, but really you're living with, with a, a being there who has all the answers. Look at how grounded and in their body they are. They're not out, you know, philosoph you know, thinking about philosophical stuff and no self. They're fully in the body, you know, face, hands dirty with food, unashamed, crawling. Like that's the teacher right there. And uh, I mean, there's another example like you've shared of just how wise and insightful children yeah. are. I mean, they have truly been my undoing, all eight of my children. They have been my undoing in so many ways because, you know, I realized early on their lives weren't mine to live. You know, like what Khalil Gibran said, your children are not your own, your own. They are life's longing for itself. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to, I'm here to support you. I'm here to facilitate what it is you feel like you need to, you know, keep them safe. You know, you have to teach them certain things and, um, you know, obviously, but in general, I saw myself as, you know, kind of the, um, a facilitator, um, of, of, of their life to find out, you know, what their interests were. And one of the beauties of homeschooling is we would be able to engage in delight directed studies. You know, so what if the history book is out, you know, what American history again, they're like, mom, can we do Egypt? Can we do my babe? We can do whatever you want to do. And so I, I was, you know, pretty liberal in that as long as the reading, writing, and arithmetic were down, the rest of it's like, hey, what do we want to do? What do we love? Because I found if they were doing what they loved, they wanted to write about it. They wanted to draw about it. They wanted to talk about it. So where there's love, there's natural absorption of, of knowledge and information. Um, and so they taught me so much. I mean, they have been truly my greatest teachers and they still are. You know, it's a different world for young people. And I sometimes I'm like, wow, wait, guys, um, I don't know the world you're living in. You know, I'm 60 years old, you know, and I have 25, well, 35 and under, but then five of them are 25 from 25 to 18. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Wow. 
And, you know, that would be so easy for me to come off as, as judgmental or try to fix them or shape them or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and I don't, I don't, and they feel safe. You know, if something's going on in their life, they will tell me everything. They, they know I'm a safe mm -hmm. place and I don't pry information out of them. I have no right to their interior world just because I'm their mother. I respect that they're human beings. Incredible. They are definitely very fortunate to have you to be there as a role model, to be there as their mother. I'm just curious, what's your relationship like with, with God today at this point in your journey? Do you have this, uh, do you pray? Do you dialogue with God? Do you have a concept of God as being God the Father, the Divine Mother, like we would maybe conceive of uh, Kundalini being the Divine Mother? What does that look like for you? It doesn't always look like one thing. Um, I'm in different moods. Um you know, just even in my human awareness and, you know, different states and states of mind. Um, one of, one of, and, and, and this ties into your question. Um, before I even really got into Hinduism much, I, I went through a phase um, about three years ago. It lasted for about a year. And I was having a lot of um, visitations from some of the deities, um, Ganesh, um, Lakshmi, Saraswati, Kali, that was really, really, really terrifying, but she's a permanent part of me now, um, and made it clear to me that I was hers and there was no way out. <laughs> I was not happy about that at the time, but I realized later it was a really, really, really good thing. Um, in some of my, my really darkest times, um, that's usually where Jesus really, um, you know, comes into the to the forefront for me, um, either as a felt presence, or there will be since I have committed so much of his teachings to to memory, um, because my consciousness is you know getting you know more and more purified all the time, so I'll be like in a really dark place, and these seeds that I sown years ago will just sprout up and you know they just they nourish your soul and your understanding and know and that's where this sense of devotion and trust and faith comes from that you were feeling because I've been so nourished in the seedbed of my own consciousness with these you know profound truths springing up and, you know, sometimes it'll, if it's, if, if it's really dark, it'll, it'll just be like, um, just, just shards of light that just, you know, they, they come and they light away on the path. And it's not that the darkness leaves, but this is okay. And I'm okay. And I'm going to be okay. And this will pass. And there's just great, there's more grace to endure it. Great. I love that. There's more grace to endure it. Yeah, sometimes we have this idea that, uh, you know, at advanced stages, suffering ceases. No, we just learn how to ride those waves a little better. Absolutely. And that was another one of those kind of, um, you know, we find these, I find these loops in my mind and I don't, you don't know that they're there until you become aware of them. Um, but one of them was that um, when my 
when my normal human life starts to look like blah, 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 then I'll be ready to do something. And I saw it and I just burst out laughing because I don't care how much wakefulness you get, life continues. Life continues always as it has. There may be some random changes, but random changes happen in life all the time. You know, relationships come, they go, jobs come and go, there's sickness and health. Um, but when I realized that the that the mind was actually waiting for itself to not do what it does naturally, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I was duped by that, you know? Oh, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was a huge recognition, like to even like to even do like this, you know, I would have been like, who am I to think that I have anything to share with anybody when I still have this going on and this going on? And, you know, I'm losing my temper and I'm, you know, a procrastinator. I'm lazy as fuck, you know, like who, who am I to show up? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm someone to show up because yeah. that's just how it is. And I, and, you know, and even in my, you know, my nervousness and anxiety about this, you know what I'm so good at? Just being me. Just being human. I don't have to pretend I know something that I don't. I don't have to, and I will never share anything that's not my own experience. No matter how on something that I look, I, I just don't care. And I, and I have no trouble saying that, you know, I'm human just like everybody else. There's mm -hmm. nothing special about me that isn't also special about everyone else. Maybe I recognize it a little more or maybe not. I don't know, but we're all the same. Right, right. So the previous episode in this Kundalini Awakening series was all about Kali. And you've got me excited when you mentioned your encounters with Kali. Um, that episode received uh, some pretty good uh Good feedback. It seems like a lot of people are relating with Kali. So why don't we go there a little bit, if you're willing? What was your, uh, what's your relationship with Kali like? What what's going on there? Um, well, I'll I'll tell you about. Um, and and I I knew of her. Of course, you know, I had pictures of her and read about her. And I don't know. I was fascinated. I think I had a friend at the time that was fascinated with her. I'm like, oh wow, this is super cool. You know, as ignorant as I was. Um, and I'm, I'm going to bed one night and I'm just like lying there and I just particular pranayamas that I would do, you know, before I would go to sleep and when I'd wake up in any, any waking moment and there's all these pranayamas going, going on. And I'm, I'm lying there and I, I feel this rumble, almost like an earthquakey kind of rumble. And I would get this a lot when I would read Nisargadatta. Interesting, he's nicknamed the hammer because I would have these earthquakes in my being. I'd be like, oh my God, what's going on? But they weren't in my physical body. They were just manifesting up through the physical body. And so I, I feel this movement deep in my beingness. And I'm like, wow, wow, what's that? And I, I literally like, what's that? And then that movement that I feel, I feel it has a, a kind of a rushing towards sensation to it. So I feel it and then I'm feeling like there's something moving up. 
there's something coming up from the depths and I can feel this slow, but really intentional and forceful movement. And by the time it gets about maybe like midsection, I start to freak out because it's black. Like there's just, there's just the blackest black I had ever seen in my life. And as I'm gazing into this, black isn't even a word for it, this black void, um, this face that was even blacker than the black emerges out of the black in my third eye. And her eyes are so incredibly white and piercing and her teeth are extremely white and her face is so black. She's a black mother, you know? Um, I didn't know her at that time and I was terrified. My body was shaking and quaking. I thought hell had thrown up inside of me and manifested as this face. And at the time, I wasn't really even relating it to Kali. I, I was so shocked and, and so stunned. Um, and for the next three days, she taunts me like a, a bully on the playground like pokes fun at all my accomplishments that I think I've made. It was really mean. I cried for three days and I had like nobody to help me. By the end of the third day, I am so humbled. I am so incredibly humbled. And she visits again, not in that same visible form, but she's seated back here. And she lets me know she's seated back there. Sorry, and for she, those listening on the audio, where behind your head? Yeah, like like behind my head, like the upper back part of my head. Okay. And that part of my consciousness, that, that part of my brain, she's seated there. Mm. And she lets me know, she gives me a choice, actually. She said, I can leave. I think she thought I would say leave after all the torture and the and the taunting and the humiliating of, you know, all my ego accomplishments. She said, I can leave and I will never return. Or I can stay. If I stay, you need to understand your mind. I didn't really know. I, I knew I didn't want her to go. At the same time, I'm like, I don't even know what it means to be yours. You think I'm crazy? Okay, I'm yours. <laughs> and she has, she, she, she is the, she's the fire that consumes me. She's the uncompromising one. And yet she has become the most loving presence ever um when 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 things are going on i'm getting snagged that kind of stuff you know it, it's it's always collie that comes to my offense you know because her sword is like sharp and powerful you know um and this kind of brings me to something we mentioned earlier about the 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 deities um, 
I know there's a lot of talk about deity worship, and I, I would like to hear what, what you think about this, too. This is just my experience. It's not the mm -hmm. only experience that to be had or the way to see it. Um, that they don't want worship. They want to be recognized so that they can serve because they are devoted to the evolution of humanity. Mm -hmm. So Kali is as devoted to me as I am to her. Ganesha is as devoted to me as I am to him. Saraswati is as devoted to me as I am to her. And I learned about this through a visitation I had from Saraswati because I would get these um, downloads when I was having all this celestial realm stuff going on by the time I, during that phase, I really thought I had arrived. So it's really humbling when all the trauma begins to erupt and I feel like I'm losing my mind so I can heal my nervous system. So talk about fall from what I thought were heights. Yeah. <laughs> Become embodied. Who wants to make that trek? It's a <laughs> mighty, mighty long fall, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was, you know, getting these downloads all the time, you know, and I'm writing and writing and writing and, you know, having these intellectual visions of the intelligence of, you know, creation and the universe and all this kind of stuff. And I was talking to one of my mentors and I was telling him about, you know, Sarah Swarty, how she's making it really difficult for me to function, you know, because she was just like show up and just start, you know, it's just like a, a, a river of just the most beautiful knowledge, just that flow and pouring forth that I just can't think or function or do anything. And she was way more interested than anything I had going on. And he said, well, just tell her to stop, you know, just tell her, hey, you know, I have some things to do and I'll check in with you later. And I was like, oh, well, I wonder if that would work. And it did. It did work. But then I just didn't want to tell her. Um, and so I wake up one morning and I'm awake. I just have my eyes closed and she appears to me in a vision. And she's just, she's flowy like silk and alabaster white. And she just issues forth out of just a white ethereal realm. And she's so incredibly beautiful and fluid. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm just like on the inside. And I tell her, thank, I say, thank you. And she reaches out her hand to me and she says, no, thank you. And I just wept and wept and wept. And part of my practice has been, um, I don't know, there'd just be a particular um, deity that I'm, I'm really drawn to, maybe based off something that's going on in my life. It might be Mother Mary. It might be... Um, Jesus, usually if it's not one of those two, it's one of the deities that have visited me. They're like my resource team. They are all for me. So they're always with me, always around me, in me, guiding me, directing me. Um, and they're all aware of each other. Um, and I began to... Um, like at, like at certain times, uh, there's always a particular chant dedicated to one of them, you know, their, their sound, their vibration that I've gone to sleep to every night for the last 
I don't know, like four years, three or four years. Like it was Ganesha, like for a whole year. And because I had a um, the visitation with him in a in a dream was this just incredible, brilliant golden light. And little by little, these still heavy plates came in and like just big squares and they like lined up with each other and they obliterated the light, except for the tiny, tiny little faint cracks where they came together. I could still see a little bit. And then all of a sudden, all that dark material shattered into a kagillion pieces and got dispersed throughout the cosmos. And what arose out of that shattering was this golden image of Ganesha. Wow. Oh my God. Always Ganesha. Mm. Wow. And, and for people who don't know, he's the destroyer of obstacles for the householder. Brilliant. Oh, I love, I love Ganesha in particular. I love all of them. And I really love uh, what you shared there about how they are devoted to you, devoted in service to you. And I cannot argue with that. And I will actually integrate that insight into my own relationship with these deities because I think that's brilliant. It turns the idea of idolization on its head. Absolutely. Which they want to be recognized because everyone who has a service to offer wants someone to be able to receive it. Their joy becomes full when we recognize the gift that they are to us. That's their celebration. Right. Oh, that's so brilliant. Of course, that insight could be misused, but I don't feel that um, it would be very effective. Like somebody might say, oh, God bows down to me. And I'm like a narcissist type of idea, but this is something completely different. This is the recognition from a place of of being willing to be helped, which requires humility, right? Absolutely. I, I can't do this by myself. Yes. God come and help. Yes. And we invite God to help us. I really, really like that. The way I relate with uh, the idea was um, the idea of deities was that they were mirrors showing mm-hmm. us our own qualities. And so Absolutely. we see in them in this way. And um, I, I like I like what you're saying. You know, they liked us to chant and that does, you know, manifest with some great rewards when we're chanting the names of God. Mm-hmm. But we can look at it within your context as if we are inviting them. We're saying, you know, Ganesha, come, please, I need your help. And they're and they say, oh, great, you know, we've got uh, some. We're on call. They're on call for us. And and, yeah, and, you know. and the narcissistic call wouldn't work for them anyway, because the right. narcissistic vibration is so out of line with what their vibration is. Right. Right. So love answers. I, love's own call. I I really really like that that they are devotees to us. Yeah. Often we have to keep flipping these things and looking at them from different perspectives to keep it fresh. Otherwise it becomes something we've borrowed from another person and we're trying to make their paradigm fit 
into ours. Uh, maybe it's a religious mainstream paradigm or something. And so we have to sort of twist and bend and look at these things from different angles to make it our own and to relate with it and make it functional for us in the way that you described. So thank you so much. That's a great, great thing for people to contemplate out there. I was, really hesitant. I was really hesitant to share it because I've never heard anybody talk about it. And I'm like, you know, I don't care. It, it's, 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 it's how it is for me. It's how it presents to me. Um, you know, in, in all of my visitations and my experiences and, and being able to open myself up to that vibration. And my prayer often would be to whichever one, um, I'm humbling myself. I need support. I need help. I can't see the way forward. I'm opening my vibration up to receive and be penetrated by yours. Because I did recognize that it is an aspect of my own consciousness already within me. And so I'm actually invoking an aspect of my own self, of my own being. Right, right. There is no separation, ultimately. Yeah. If you really boil it all down, it's all God. Absolutely. Right. These are just fun, the way I see it, at least, these are fun archetypes that make it interesting and exciting and digestible to relate with because Ganesh has a face and he can communicate and speak yes. and they have arms to help you. Whereas if it's more of this like just vague, like divine ethereal energy without a form, it's a little more difficult to relate with. And so the way I see it, it's like, oh, there's a feminine woman, Kali. She's fierce with weapons and swords. And I could say, oh, she's going to protect me with those weapons. Okay, I can relax and trust. She's out there looking out for me in that way. So that's the way I see it. Well, and, and because we, we as human beings, we have these like parts of our psyches that can't make the journey except through the vehicle of those archetypes. Right. All of these parts have to make the journey. You know, so, you know, maybe the little boy needs Ganesha. You know, maybe the little girl needs um, Saraswati. You know, like it, it, it just depends. That's why that, that's where the, the, the more the more mature me, you know, you know, needs those um, talks with Jesus. The mm -hmm. courageous part of me needs to go to battle knowing Kali's fighting with me and for me. Yes. You know, it's, be it's beautiful. Yes. I, I, I love, I feel really, really privileged not only to have, you know, these disembodied beings as far as not having fleshly bodies, but I have had amazing support um, in, in human bodies as well. I mean, like in, incredible, incredible support. And you know who you are out there if you ever hear this. And I'm like immensely grateful for my, my mentors that saw in me what I could not yet see and mirrored it so I could lust after it in them and envy it in them and work towards it and claim it for myself so that I could have greater fellowship with them. Right, right. And now you are making your way into offering your own fellowship and support to others out there in the flesh maybe over over video call and that sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you described to me as your spiritual midwifery and uh, the sort of service work that you're offering uh, to do with, uh, you know, supporting people on their journeys. How does that look? Um, 
Well, I am, you know, it, it's kind of new budding, you know, because it's, it's kind of like growing in me, like new shoots of grass, you know, I can like, you know, just feel it, the life of it, you know, coming up and, and forming my mind so that, you know, I can know what to carry out. Um, part of this came about through pondering giving birth to my children. When I had my first three children, there really, there was probably individual midwives, but like in the hospital, there weren't these like birthing centers, you know, so that you actually had like a, a beautiful room and it was comfortable. So when I went in to have my first three children, you just have your kid in the operating room on a table. You know, it's sterile, bright lights, you know, kind of inhumane. Um, but when I had the last five, I was able to check into this birthing center and I had a midwife. And she made all the difference in the world. You know, she wasn't like the doctor on call. And if you're really in trouble, I'll show up. You know, who, who, wants, who wants a God like that? You know, who, who wants a love like that? I'm only going to show up when you're in the deepest trouble. Other than that, you're just on your own and figure it out. And when they would come in the room, my, my whole body, my whole nervous system, even in all these contractions would just relax and they would just sit on the sofa and just be there with me. And I could scream and I could cry and I could curse and I could get this or whatever. It didn't make any difference. There was no shame in that setting whatsoever. And then last winter, it was about a year and a half ago, um, we sold our family home to a you know, big house that all 10 of us could fit in. And though some of the older children had already gotten married and, and moved out, whenever we came back together, Thanksgiving, Christmas or whatever, we all got together at this house and it was, it was our nest. Um, we didn't always get along perfect because nobody does. Um, but as long as we had that space, man, it was just like the container. If you're going to fight, you fight here. If you're going to love, you love here. Everything happens right here. And we sold the house and it was incredibly devastating to me. It was like last, last winter I went through, I really got thrown into a, a very, 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 very horrific dark night. Um, because not only did we sell the family home, and that was kind of like the anchoring place for my family, for everything to evolve around. You know, had my last kid go off to college. I was finished homeschooling. Um, had a daughter moved to Florida, the you know one that's really really close to me. I mean, I'm, I love all my kids, but she's kind of like my right hand. And it was like everything that could horrible thing, other than being diagnosed with a terminal illness. It seemed to happen all at the same time. And I felt abandoned. I, I felt absolutely just abandoned. And, you know, I, I, I cried out and, you know, I cursed God and I cursed life. And I made sure that I showed up. If that was a love, if it was the love that I knew it to be, there was nothing about my humanity that would send it into the shadows or would mar it or offend it. So I decided to just let it loose, you know, just this hurts being human right now. You know, this life sucks. You know, it was, it was horrific. After I started to come out of that some, which has kind of really been in the last four months where I'm starting to feel like, is there a, is there a life for me, for me, you know, like, you know, I was totally dedicated to my children. 
full-time job wearing a million different hats at the same time, you know, then Kundalini, you can't do anything with Kundalini. So there really did used to be me that was really, really, really good at stuff and could get things done. But I'm, I'm feeling that starting to come back now after, you know, all these, all these years. But what really broke my heart and that I thought was gone was this essence of mothering. This just, this real nurturing um, quality about me that I, I just have, period. And I mean, you know, Kate, Kate, Kate West, right? Um, you know, Kate and I have been friends for about three years now. Um, and I, I got to enjoy a lot of that with Kate in, in a really horrific period of her Kundalini process. So basically, I like midwifed her and kept her alive for two years. You know, she's on the sofa. She's suicidal. She doesn't know if this will ever end. And she would she would met she would message me. You know, fifteen times a day, we were in constant contact. And she's like, "I need a reframe. I need a reframe." And a reframe would always come, and it would come with that tra that midwifery transmission transmission to it. And I'm like, "Wow, what is this?" Because I would feel it too, and it would nurture me. So I knew it wasn't coming from Lila me. I mean, it's just like this just spring would open up and just like come forth. And I realized that though the nest, that the house was gone, that essence wasn't, that it was actually still here. And um, so different different people who, well, so I mean, a lot of friends, I have a lot of friends on the um, spiritual path and I'm in contact with a lot of people. I'm really fortunate that way. Um, and somehow I would just get, you know, hooked up with people that were like struggling. Sometimes I would be the one struggling and I, I would need to be midwifed, you know, cause I, I need that. You need that. We all need midwifed and a, a really safe, loving, thriving presence of someone. And it just, it just felt so natural and it was so fruitful. And, and even when I wasn't talking to them, you know, I'd be about my day and I'd, I'd run across a, a song or a chant or something would come up in my mind to send to one of them. And they started to feel like, I don't want to say my children, because I knew they were mother's children. That I recognized that they were mother's children, just like I'm the mother's child. And that it was her own essence that was flowing through this form to her children. And so out of that, um, I started to experiment with um, what I call um, a, a circle of compassion. And so I invited five women that I was close to, most of them pretty close to. And we started meeting once a week in this circle. And the five of us happened to all be in Kundalini process. And, and little by little by little, you know, we're getting more comfortable with each other because the whole thing I love about a circle is there's a light in every chair. There is a wisdom in every chair. Mm -hmm. There is love in every chair. So nobody's showing up with the teaching, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not the purpose for this. I, I have an experiment that I, I, I need to see if what is in my heart is actually something that can be actualized in, in the world. Um, and, and little by little by little, you know, the intimacy, start, intimacy starts, starts to build. It doesn't mean that things don't come up, 
but you start to realize, wow, things are going to come up. I don't care if you get whatever groups of people, as soon as you put people together, you're going to have issues. And I think sometimes we have this idea of, oh my God, if the whole world was awake, if the whole world was awake, we'd still have human beings. And where you have human beings, you just have trouble. You know, you got drama. Yeah. Well, we started to realize that even in this small container, um, things were going to come up and that we could we could test the waters of relational devotion in this water, relational support, commitment to each other, to knowing that as as the other is helped, we are also helped. And that is the nature of the circle. And so, you know, we just got closer and closer and we would share our kundalini processes and our struggles and our ups and our downs. And, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. And in every meeting we've had so far, and I don't see any reason why it, why it will be any different. It will just get magnified. We, we, we start out, you know, kind of reconnecting, you know, it's been what, seven days since we saw each other. So we're just kind of, Hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and little by little, you can feel this kind of, um, this kind of, it's a, it feels like a midwifery energy that starts to just kind of weave kind of in and out through this just a circle of women. And they start to share their contractions. I'm a, I'm a mom. I've actually given birth nine times. I lost one baby at 20 weeks, though. So, you know, when you have, you have these contractions, you know, it's just super, super painful. And you, I mean, you basically, you become that contraction, you know, you might in your head think, oh my God, this is going to end, but it, it just seems like it's eternal. So a, a, to bring forth a contraction in the group would be to bring forth a struggle, whether it was in the domain of Kundalini process or, um, or trauma or a relationship or our bodies or our minds. And, you know, we're sharing our contractions with each other. And then invariably in sharing these contractions and just giving room for them and validating them and seeing each other, this incredible wisdom would just start to waft up from, from each of us to the others. And we would start reflecting and saying things. It's really been one of the most powerful things I've ever been involved with. And so what I want to do is I have another group of five people, five women, and they happen to all be in Kundalini process too. My goal is not to make sure everybody's in Kundalini process. I just know a lot of people in Kundalini process. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to do that same thing with that group. And then I kind of want to build it from there. And I don't really know what it's going to look like yet. Um, eventually I would like to um, have groups for couples because you could read all the books you want to about understanding men and understanding women and relationships. This stuff has to be worked out on the field of life. Mm -hmm. And it's worked out on the field of life in a safe space, in a safe container with some sort of, you know, if things got crazy because they can with human beings, you know, somebody, cause I'm just showing up as a facilitator. Mo most of these women know way more than I do. You know, I'm, I'm just bringing forth a gift, however the mother wants to use it. I mean, that that's my part in this. And then I'm being nurtured and grown by them as well. Um, and then in, a, in the context of those um, circle meetings, um, 
because I'm kind of referring to the whole thing as like the circle way, midwifing and awakening humanity. Like, I don't know who this was. Maybe you know who says it, that said it, that the the next um, Buddha will be the Sangha. I'm not sure you know, who, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's like a, an understanding within Buddhism itself. I think also they say um, the next Buddha is Maitreya. And Maitreya translates to friend. I ah, believe so. I believe so. Wow, that's really beautiful. If if you remember that, you can send me that in the email. I would love this. Um, so I the the importance of relationship is huge, huge, huge. It, I mean, really, just across the board in life, whether whether you're in Kundalini process, spiritual process, I mean, whatever it is, I think we all know the value of of relationship. And I came across this quote by Robert Augustus Masters. He said, intimate relationships is perhaps the ashram of the 21st century, a place of especially a place, especially ripe with transformational possibility, a combination of crucible and sanctuary for the deepest sort of healing and awakening. Because in the context of that relational field is where being a human and all that that means gets normalized. Yeah, that's a great quote. I would, I would drop the word perhaps from it. To I, me, it's I, very I, apparent. Me too. I just didn't. It's yeah. apparent to me too. Um, yeah, it's very, yeah. very clear. Um, this is our ashram. We don't. I, I have described it as saying, you know, we don't have time to go to the ashram anymore. Everything is happening so quickly. It's happening where you are now. The ashram comes to you. You know, we're not going on pilgrimages to India anymore. It's, no. it's here. No. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have, we have to be the lights that we are in the place where we are. We don't have Beautiful. to go anywhere to find life and, and, and life itself. I mean, at some point, I think each of us began to recognize, wow, the path is life itself. The spiritual practice is life itself. Indeed. And so I'd like to, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how, um, you know, there, there's a dynamic that, that's, that's a little different. I don't know how I'll navigate the waters of it, but this is what I feel like I'm really good at, like naturally. And that would be to kind of be a, um, like an on-call midwife. Um, specifically for somebody really in spiritual emergency or, you know, going through these Kundalini awakenings, um, you know, some people can afford therapists. There's so much free offered out there today. I mean, if, if, if you're willing to make use of it, I mean, you, you can pretty much source yourself a, a good deal of the way. Um, but I, like, I know for me, like, I, I might be like really, really struggling with something right now. Like, oh my God, I really need to talk to somebody right now. And my appointment's next week. Mm -hmm. Well, somehow I endured that, you know, by, yeah, I, I called up a couple of friends, you know, you know, whatever. Um, and then they really have been my, my midwives, you know, being able to have those conversations like, oh my God, Chris, this is what I'm feeling right now. Kate, this is what's going on right now. And, you know, somebody's there to say, I see you, I hear you, you know, this is normal. What, I mean, whatever it is just to hold space for you. Um, and to, for somebody to be able to have access to someone right in the middle of a crisis. I mean, you are in massive contraction 
and you need the midwife in the room. And they could, you know, like I said, I don't know, I don't really know how that's the, how I'm going to be able to do that because I'm a human being and I have a, mm-hmm. a life and responsibilities. Um, but that's I what I would absolutely love to do is offer my my body and mind as a vehicle for that incredible energy to flow through me, mother's energy to her own children who she is waking up herself in. Beautiful. Well, from what I've seen through this work that I'm doing, through the work that I've observed others doing, is that she gives us an idea and then she'll let it blossom in the way that she wants in her own pace. And uh, sometimes it's uh, it's fast, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it, you know things yeah. take weird turns and surprises and we learn along the way and it, it's really exciting. But what you've shared, it's it's very obvious to me about how apparent it is because I've benefited from the same type of support. I've seen many others, including myself, also benefit from the When Lightning Strikes community where we met, uh, which is a focus on coming together as a community in a circle and sharing. And so what you're offering there, there are many out there that will benefit. For those listening that would like to connect with Lila, uh, at the moment, these uh, groups that you're holding are still uh, a little bit low key, but when you are more public with it, you're going to send me the link to your website. I will put it in the description and people can go there to connect with you and to, uh, to benefit from what you're offering. So you can, you can uh, look out in the description for that link if it's not there already, if you're interested in connecting with Lila. So where else can people connect with you if they're interested in uh, maybe giving you some feedback, just just thanking you for what you've shared uh, today, um, if they want to read some of your your writings and, and your sharings, how can people connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me on Facebook. Um, I mean, some, sometimes I'm prolific there. Sometimes I, I'm not because, you know, I'm, I'm still in a lot of process or I have, you know, these other groups going on and I'm trying to get some things off the ground. Um, you, I can give you an, an email address Okay. that we could use specifically for that. Sure. So um, I'll put your Facebook uh, link in the description, your email in the description as well. Okay. Yeah. And, and then people can, can reach out and connect with you and find out where they can, uh, you know, follow up with you about, uh, the, the, the midwife, uh, circles and that sort of thing. Um, I really love the idea of of a spiritual midwife, and um, I just want to share with you a little bit about my own experience with midwives, just to validate. And I think it's a interesting little uh, synchronicity there. Um, so during my process, uh, there was a course I took in university during my undergrad, and it was the only course that fit my schedule, and it was the history of midwives in Ontario. And so I'm, I'm in this course, you know, I'm college guy, no interest in any of this stuff. And I'm learning about this, you know, the history of midwives in Ontario and how things shifted from being in the way that you described very real and human and supportive to being more, um, you know, sterile and, 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 uh, uh, 
cold and distant in the hospital room. And so I got a little bit of an appreciation for that almost, you know, by, uh, by force, you could say. Um, and then one of my mentors who's, uh, gone through Kundalini process who, who helped me was also a doula, uh, a midwife as well. And two of my other mentors uh, for yoga were, were doulas as well. And um, I've, I've seemed to just, you know, wherever I turn, there's midwives all around. And I felt, and I, I recognize a the theme of what you're describing. And this is the way that, you know, the divine sort of speaks to me in these synchronicities and themes. And I saw, okay, I'm in the presence of these midwives. I'm safe. I'm okay. It's going to be okay. And I just wanted to share that with you just to let you know that, yes, you are 100% onto something. That's and beautiful. thank you. Oh, well, you're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for for continuing this theme of of supporting people in their rebirth process. So, so important. So, so important. Thank you so much, Lila, for joining us today, for sharing so openly, so vulnerably, so much wisdom that you've shared with us. You've been so validating to myself, to others out there, I'm sure, who are in dark places. You know, you've... Uh, radiated some light you're like a beacon showing it's going to be okay and i just want to thank you for that i want to thank you for you know sharing some really cool stuff sharing some human stuff and you know you, you gave us both ends of the spectrum being, <laughs> Good. A human, being a householder and then at the same time you know describing your encounters with mystical encounters with with jesus and, and ganesh and, and kali and saraswati and the divine mother and how oh, it's been so great. We've covered a lot of ground together. We've called the, covered the full spectrum of the divine of, of humanity. I'm going to listen back and there's some, some great nuggets of, of wisdom that I'm going to have to write down, but for now, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for, for sitting with us today, for sharing your energy, your presence with us. You are seen, you are heard. That seems to be a very strong theme that Lala's been sharing today. You're seen, you're heard. Everything is going to be okay. God is with you. And until next time on the Spiritual Awakening Show, you can stay tuned for the next part of the Kundalini Awakening series. If you're listening on YouTube, you can also find this series on Spotify. It's available for free in the audio form if you'd like to listen you know, in the car before bed. Uh, if you're listening to Spotify, of course, this is on YouTube where you can see both of our faces here. Uh, on the video, please, if you feel that there's somebody who would love to benefit from Lila's wisdom that you've shared today, Lila, I'm going to invite everybody out there to share this podcast around so that others can benefit from Lila's story and the things she shared. And of course, check out the description to connect with Lila, connect with her on Facebook by email, and look out for her spiritual circles all about spiritual midwifery. So thank you so much, Lila. I appreciate it. And until next time. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Much love to you. Much love and peace. <laughs>